0: On this episode of the Let's Go Eat show, I get to talk to a political muckraker, a political reporter. His name is Robert Gerke. If you read the Salt Lake Tribune, then you've read his stuff. We talk about what political reporting is all about, what being a newspaper man is all about. We talk about the future of the newspaper business. And, uh, and we talk about uh, the Shurtleff-Swallow case. Uh, we talk about uh, Mark Shurtleff and John Swallow. Uh, uh, Mr. Gurky was uh, very instrumental in re- reporting that case and bringing out a lot of the evidence in that case. Uh, we talk about uh, what it was like to do that. And he won some awards for it. He didn't get the Pulitzer, though. There's still time. Uh, I want to thank uh, Wasatch Brew Pub Sugar House, brand-new place on the corner of 21st uh, South and uh, Highland Drive. They hosted us, had some delicious food. Uh, here And uh, uh, Mr. Gurkey had a beer. I shouldn't probably tell people that, but he did. He had a Ghost Rider White IPA. Uh, we had fader tots and pulled pork sandwiches, and we talked the newspaper business. It's the Let's Go Eat show. Uh, I sure miss my son Dylan producing the show, mainly because he sets up the equipment, and now I have to do it. No, oh, I miss him. He's having a good time in New York, though. Uh, I guess we'll just get on with it. Uh, it's Robert Gurki. It's the Let's Go Eat show, and here it is. Now I have a go ahead. Eat, eat, okay. please, please. Right. Don't stop. Don't stop eating on my account, Robert Gurki. This will all probably. <laughs> all of the. This... this is a very casual podcast we do here, the Let's Go Eat show. This will probably. I'm. You've listened to a couple of them mm-hmm. here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, this will all probably. No, I can't find my goddamn stopwatch here. Uh, this will all probably make it onto the. Uh, podcast. Okay. I'm such a professional, aren't I? (laughs) Have you ever, you've, you listen to the Radio from Hell show occasionally, don't you? All the time. You you grew, Robert Gerke is our guest on the uh, Let's Go Eat show. You grew up in Salt Lake City, yes?
2: I did, yeah. I'm born and raised down in in Mill Creek area.
0: I went to school. I know where you went to school. Just, I happened to, (laughs) I looked at your Facebook page briefly today. Yeah. Granite High School. Granite
2: High School, yep. And Mighty farmers. When did you When did you graduate? Uh, 91.
0: And uh, there's my stopwatch. Okay, now we're officially rolling on the Let's All Go right. Eat show at the Wasatch uh, Brew Pub Sugar House, and our uh, waiter. What What is our wait? What's your name, sir? Rich. Uh, Rich. Rich is our waiter. Hi, Rich. Hello. He used to be a reporter too. He did. Yeah, for the AP.
2: Yep, and then he got smart and got out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, These uh, tater tots are delicious, by the way, Rich. Absolutely delicious. it has been popular, and what they put on there is... Here, wait a second. Hang on. on. Talk right into the microphone, Rich.
2: Hi, folks. We got uh, the uh, whiskey salt tater tots in front of us here, and the way they make that is they uh, add some whiskey to some kosher salt, heat it so the uh, liquid evaporates, so it's not a salt that will intoxicate you, but it uh, does keep that smoky, oaky flavor, and they have been popular here. And
0: by uh, good for good reason, they are delicious. They're yeah, very good. And uh, uh, Mr. Gerke, uh, the uh, star, are you a political reporter? I'm a political, political reporter, Political yeah.
2: reporter for the Tribune is having the... It's uh, called The Guy. It's a pulled pork sandwich with a little slaw and some uh, lettuce on top.
0: And we're at the Wasatch Brew Pub Sugar House. It's right on the corner I mean, you would call this Sugar House Corner, I think. It's yeah,
2: it's the, it's the one everybody thinks of when they think of Sugar House, the big statue out there and the, and the Barnes & Noble across the street.
0: Yeah, it's, and it's only been open for about a week and a uh, beautiful location. There's some construction going on, but it's the brand-new building here, and uh, we'll, talk to, uh, we'll talk to the manager or the chef a little bit later on. But now we're going to talk uh, newspaper reporting and politics with Robert Gerke. Went to Granite High School and grew up in Utah, yep. and always wanted to be a journalist.
2: I always wanted. Well, it's funny. I actually originally wanted to be an editorial cartoonist. Um, well, Pat Bagley had that job. Exactly. When I was in junior high, I entered a contest, an editorial cartoon contest, and I won it, and got to meet Pat. And he was, it was a big. He deal He was the for judge. Me. Yeah, he was the judge. It was. Uh, I think I was in seventh grade or eighth grade, and uh, it was. It was. You know, it was a big deal for me, but. I also re- recognize that he's really good at what he does and he's young and he's not you know yeah he, he could go anywhere he wants, I guess, but he he had that spot locked down so you know I was always interested in politics I like to write um, wasn't very good at math, so <laughs> reporting seemed to be a good option for me so you know that's sort of how I got moving down that path mm-hmm. uh, so yeah I was I was probably in junior high when I decided this was Something I wanted to do for a living,
0: and you went to. Oh, and I know that you you went to the University of Utah as well.
2: I, I did. I was a political science and communications major up there.
0: Uh, and uh,
2: did
0: you did you decide? I mean, how, just give me a little bit more of your career path. you went yeah. after school, what did you do?
2: So, so yeah, I was I was up at the U, and I, I started sort of doing. Um, occasionally helping out covering basketball games you know college basketball games and stuff for the Associated Press uh, while I was still in school and then graduated and they they had a temp position summer in sort of basically a summer internship and it worked out the timing worked out so that at the very end of my internship somebody was taking maternity leave and they kept me on and then there's a vacation internship that they you know I did another internship after that so Eventually, uh, when the person who had taken maternity leave didn't come back, they had an opening, and I'd been there for nine months at that point, and they just said, All right, we'll just keep you around. Just kept showing up, basically. Um, so I worked for the Salt Lake, the AP Bureau here in Salt Lake, uh, for, uh, let's see, from about 97 to 2001. And then applied, uh, got a job out in D.C. with the Associated Press, mm-hmm. and so I was the Southwest Regional Reporter. We covered Arizona, Colorado, New Mexico, and Utah, mm-hmm. congressional delegations, and, and you know executive branch agencies, stuff like public lands issues, Indian issues, all that stuff, water issues. Um, I did that for uh, I did that for about five years, and then the Trib called and said, "Well, you know, we have they had somebody in D.C., but they wanted to make it a two-person bureau." Uh, and asked me if I'd be interested and, and what was it appealing about it was I, you know with the four states I was covering I was getting pulled in a lot of different directions mm-hmm. so this would give me a little bit more time to just kind of focus on doing one thing and maybe hopefully have a little bit more family time you know it's sort of grueling so so yeah so I jumped over to the Tribune uh, that was in 2000 it must have been in 2004 I guess because it was right about the time my son was born and then uh, did that for about three and a half years and then decided to moved back to utah um just kind of was burned out on dc it's a tough place to live and the hours were kind of grueling and Mm. so and it's been a great decision been back about seven years now
0: uh talk to people tell people a little bit about what that means to be an ap reporter the associated press and how uh you started doing that in uh it was in the 90s yeah 96
2: 97 yeah and um was was that still a pretty big deal? It, it was, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, they, you know, they, the AP is ha, has bureaus all over the uh, all over the world, really. Still do, it still do. Yeah, I'm not. They've they've downsized considerably, as you know, all of the all of the journalism profession has. But mm-hmm. um, at the time, we had eight people, I think, working here, and they were kind of ramping up for the Olympics coverage, you know, it, it, before I left. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, so it was it was kind of cool, though. You'd write the stuff; it would get sent out on at the time the wire you know now mm-hmm. it just it's all done on the internet now but um and your stuff would run in papers all over the country all over the world really i got clips sent to me from uh i think singapore and germany and things like that it would get translated into the the language there and and it was kind of cool you know you'd, you'd cover the big stories um which was great for a kid right out of college it was a little like over you know a little overwhelming that if there's a big national story happening in Utah, you know, I'd, I'd end up getting a, ch- a shot at covering Did it. Did you
0: get a byline?
2: Uh, you, <laughs> mm. you put the bylines on it, and a lot of times the papers take them off just to, for space, so you'll see stuff that just says AP, you know. and yeah. that's, But, you know, every once in a while, yeah, I got some bylines in the L.A. Times, and, New York Times and other places like that they just pick it up and run it and you know it was it was good experience and and the people I was working with there at the time I mean we just had uh, just superstars you know it was a great learning experience for me and so it was you know invaluable uh, you know helped really helped me sort of become a better reporter I think
0: what uh, how how did it help you become a better reporter what what are the what are the skills that needed to be honed? Yeah, writing seems to be an obvious one, but there's something
2: else. Well, yeah, you learn the writing by doing it, and so yeah. the, the sort of just the repetition and doing it over and over really helped that. But you know, I was working with uh, people who had just who had been in the business for a long time, knew everything about how to how to attack a story. You know, I mean, a lot of a lot of what we do is sort of finding creative ways to get at information that isn't readily available, right? So these people knew the tricks of the trade, you know, they, and they knew the people that you needed to talk to and kind of would were more than willing to take a young reporter and kind of, you know, point them in the right direction or give them advice if they were, you know, if I, if I was screwing something up. So, um, you know, and, and and they've gone on to, you know, do great things here and in other papers and, you know, it's just, it was it was a very professional very experienced crew that we had there and so just you just kind of had to watch him work and and absorb whatever you could because it was it was a great opportunity for me
0: what's the what uh, uh, so you you need to know who to ask right and i guess you probably need to know the right things to ask as well or and how to ask yeah
2: yeah and you need to I mean, most a, a lot of what I do now, especially, is talking to people, just sort of having conversations off the record. It's a little bit; it's got, it's got a certain element of gossiping to it, you know. Mm. We just because people will tell you things that are happening that they don't necessarily want their name on in the paper, but once you gather enough of those bits of string, you can go kind of attack a story and try to get you know go to the sources you need to talk to and and get the information you need. So, um, you know, I mean, the. There's, there, there's there's a certain amount of what we do that's sort of obvious on the surface stuff. You go to an event or a press conference, and that's sort of the boring stuff that we do. The more interesting stuff is when you're really kind of investigating something. you got to be sort of a detective in a certain way, and you need to know where to go to get the information, what information certain people or agencies might have, and then you need to know what to ask for, and you need to usually a lot of times you ask for it they're not going to tell you you know because they don't want to tell you so you have to find other ways to get at it and it's it's uh it's an it's a job i enjoy because every day it's going to be something different right i mean it's yeah i'm a reporter but every day it's going to be a different challenge and you're going to have to find a different way to sort of attack the problem
0: Do you remember maybe the first time you were working on a story and maybe what the story was that you you got kind of a little bit of a chill and a thrill, and a, yeah. and like, oh my God, I'm really, I'm really doing something here. This is whoa. This is this could be. I do. Ooh, yeah. ooh,
2: this is big. Ooh, yeah, you know that kind of yeah. excitement. No, um, I, you, I'm sure you remember Merrill Cook. I do. Uh,
0: Merrill I, Cook, the explosives expert, who was who
2: ran for Congress yeah, and ran
0: for Congress and and finally did win a seat in finally Congress. won a seat. Yeah. And
2: then he had a, a. It's appropriate that he was an explosives ex, explosives expert because he kind of exploded once he was there. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of, there were a lot of stories about sort of his, I don't know, erratic behavior. You know, at one point, I guess he told the told his staff to fax his underwear to the Speaker of the House. You know, <laughs> um, he kind of he kind of went off the rails, and there was. You know, and there was a lot of dissension in his office and people who were saying that he was hiring people that weren't showing up or paying people who weren't showing up and this and that. And so I got to sort of get into that piece of it. And as a you know, aspiring political reporter, you have a congressman who's sort of sort of, you know, on the rocks, you know, mm. is just sort of Now sort this of is where of, you were working for the AP. This is when I was working for the AP, yeah. And, you know, and and that was sort of where I, that was sort of the first story. And, and the, the first time I really had to navigate the pushback you get, you know, because you get important people, powerful people coming to your boss and telling them that you're full of crap. And, um, and you kind of have to stand your ground and be confident in what you're reporting. So that was a, that was a... Probably the first kind of big, big political story, at least that I that I got to be involved in, and I'm like, yeah, I, 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 I like this, I can do this. Well, uh, what's inter- Let's let's talk about that that whole aspect of
0: it a little bit too. Um, Merrill Cook, yeah, uh, was just a a first term congressman.
2: Yeah, yeah right? I believe so. I believe just, so. It
0: might have been second term. I can't remember now. But just a he's just a guy. Yeah, kind of a buffoon. Right. Um. And yet, a, a, he has power that that uh, somebody like me probably does not understand. Yeah. And uh, and power that he can turn on you. Can you explain that? Uh, you, am I asking the question? Yeah.
2: Now? No, I think I understand. What What sort of blowback did did, did yeah. we get from it? Um, well, I mean, they he obviously wasn't happy about the stories we were writing, and and. Um, fortunately, like I said, I, I had this great editor at the time, Vern Anderson, who, you know, backed up his reporters. And, and so, you know, he didn't have, he didn't, he wasn't in a position where he could necessarily, you know, get me fired or threaten my job. Um, although, you know, I'm sure he, he certainly made enough complaints to my bosses that they were taking the heat, you know, and they, you know, you in this business, you either have a good boss who's going to back you up, or you have one that's going to, turn on you and, you know, yeah. come come after you. So fortunately, you know, we kind of weathered that storm. But um, you kind of, I, th- I think most of the people in this field, especially people who have been in it for a long time, like Vern had been at the time, recognize that when you get close to, close to a nerve, that people are going to, you know, start coming after you. And it's happened numerous times to me since then. And mm-hmm. fortunately, my editors at the Tribune and at the AP have always backed me up on mm-hmm. it. Uh, what do you think happens um do you
0: ever think about what happens to the person that you're reporting about
1: Uh hello it is ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day couldn't we just to make up for things like sitting in traffic doing the dishes counting your steps you know all the mundane stuff that is why i'm such a big fan of chumba casino chumba casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day low Actually, a lot. So sign up now at chumbacasino. dot com. That's chumbacasino. dot com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. Eighteen plus. Um, you know you yeah, you, you know
0: you say, yeah. you say you say you have to say. I mean, I just said that M- Meryl Cook was kind of a buffoon, and you know you say you you write things that, about people that and they may be and they they're true, yeah. but they're also can be very hurtful to a person's family and yeah
2: oh absolutely um. You know there have been there have been some times that have been pretty where I've had to report stories that have been pretty hard. I, I when I talk to journalism students, I kind of say you have to be a professional sociopath because you have to be friendly with these people, but you can't be friends with these people. You have to maintain that professional distance. So if you think back, um, a couple of the harder ones I've had to write. Uh, you remember the Kevin Garn story where he was. Hot tubbing he had to admit on the last night of the s- session, that so he,
0: many years ago, yeah. that he had hot tubbed naked with a girl.
2: Yeah, it was it was probably fifteen years earlier, twenty years earlier, something like that. Yeah, and he had uh, an underage been in a hot tub with an underage girl. He was a married guy, had subsequently paid her some money because right. she was blackmailing him a little a bit. A little or, bit, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I had a pretty good relationship with Kevin up at the legislature. Um, I knew his kids, you know, and mm-hmm. knew that this was going to be devastating to him. I remember vividly the day we were going to run the story, him sitting in the office at the Tribune, you know, and laying it all out for us, his version of events. And, you know, we kind of had this little huddle and said, you know, he paid her to stay quiet, you know, about this. And it's probably a story that people need to know about. We went in and broke the news to him and he just broke down, you know. It, it was it was and then I saw his, his son that night and he was in tears and you know, you recognize that these are real people, but at the same time, you know, we we're reporting the truth. We're reporting we don't we don't take pot shots at people, I don't think, you know. I mean it's mm-hmm. it's gotta have some bearing on their conduct in office or their of con- you know, their professional uh, professional conduct. I mean the story with Sheldon Kilpak and his DUI Uh, he was the Senate majority leader. He got arrested for a DUI and um, ultimately, ultimately left the legislature. Um, You know, again, I had, I dealt with Sheldon on a daily basis during the legislative sessions. And, and, you know, he was always a pretty straight shooter with me. And um, I knew it was hard on his family, but, you know, it's, it's uh, our, our, we don't, necessarily work for them you know yeah. we're working for the, our readers to you know try to tell them what's going on and so that's our first obligation okay. and so i tell people you know it's like you know we can we can have friendly conversations but it, there there may come a time where i have to put the knife in you and you know i'm gonna have to do it have you
0: ever have you ever apologized um and said i'm sorry i had to do that
2: yeah i mean i th- i you know i i made clear to sheldon it's like you know personally i like you but this is this is what i have to do and he said yeah i know you know and um i never had that same conversation with kevin garn you know Mm -hmm. i I haven't spoken to kevin since that Mm -hmm. story broke but um i told his son you know i'm sorry this is hard on you i'm sorry that this is hard on your family but you know it's an it's an important story because you know i mean he ended up resigning as majority leader of the house of representatives it's a it's a it's a big deal and and you know so we had to, we had to write that story. There was no question about it. Um, so you, uh,
0: it's a. It, by the way, just there's a there's a piece in just this last New York Times magazine where it talks about this whole idea of uh, how this kind of uh, p- reporting got started, and it started really with Gary Hart
2: mm, when yeah. Gary
0: Hart was running for president, and the monkey
2: the, business scandal, right? The,
0: yeah, the monkey business boat and the Donna Rice and all of that. Yeah uh the the guy who wrote the story says really pretty much prior to that story um politicians private lives were kind of left out of right of of the news you know reporters knew that you know presidents had mistresses and all of that kind of stuff and they they just didn't report about it they knew about it and they didn't talk about it and and now their private lives have kind of become.
2: Well, and and I'll tell you how we approach it. I mean, we have had people come to us and say, I know politician X is having, you know, is cheating on his wife or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, this is all hypothetical, but, well, yeah. no, actually, it's not. Well, I mean, it happens. It has happened. Yeah. And, and you know, we kind of say, well, all right, is there a public, does the public need to know this, right? Is it is it affecting his... You say this
0: in an editorial
2: meeting. Yeah, we meet with our edit- editors and kind of say, "All right, uh, does this affect how politi- this politician conducts himself or herself in office? Uh, are they using public money? You know, is the other person somehow like a lobbyist or something like that? If if it doesn't sort of meet those criteria, if it doesn't affect how their 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 conduct in office, aside from maybe their moral character, right? Um, then then we kind of." Sure, you know, I. It's not. We're not. We're not in the tabloid business. It's not. Mm-hmm. You know, it might be salacious and it might be you know sexy and maybe sell some newspapers, but that's that's not really what we're trying to do. You know, we're trying to mm-hmm. tell people things that we think they need to know, not just things that you know are going to show up on TMZ or something like that.
0: Yeah. So I, yeah, I guess the and I guess the whole that, and I think that's good to know. Uh, the whole uh, maybe maybe the line too is um, if the. If the politician in question is a huge moral crusade, moral yeah. crusader, a big moral crusader yeah, for you know, saying uh, you know, and that those people kind of get outed sometimes.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, hypocrisy is uh, yeah. it's uh, hypocrisy is an easy story to write, and yeah. it happens an awful lot, you know. I mean, that's and so and so that that adds a certain element of, of uh, appeal to it, you know, and I think. There's also maybe a difference between uh, a politician that's at the state level or a city councilman or something like that versus a presidential candidate or a, a, Senate, a U.S. senator or something like that. The, the calculus gets a little bit more difficult at that point, I think, on whether you do a story or not. So,
0: how do you um, do? You have a difficulty keeping your, um, you know. They always talk about reporters and a bias, the liberal right. media, bias, right. liberal media, bias, and all yeah. of that. Um, you obviously have your own po- politics and your own yeah. points of view and your own, you know, your own moral standards and your own views on right. things. Right, right. And you, you're reporting on uh, things that have a very definite slant, you know. Right. How, I assume you try to keep your point of view out of it. It's,
2: it's sometimes really hard to do. Um, you know, I tell people that if a reporter tells you they don't have an opinion on something, they're lying to you because, you know, we're all human beings. We all have all the biases is, is just sort of a reflection of your experience, your life experience, right, and how you view certain events. Um, so, yeah, we all have biases. And I think especially, you know, I didn't really maybe recognize this early on as much but as i've spent some time in this business i've kind of recognized that yeah it's more important to recognize where you do have opinions and where you do where you might have a bias and then just sort of make sure that you're careful not to let that color the work you do and in fact i mean kind of you kind of go the opposite direction in trying to make sure that you know it doesn't your your personal opinions don't show through in your work and that's just you just have to be professional about it right i mean you got to yeah, and and it's easier to do when you're writing a story. After you sit down and write it, you can read it and just kind of say, "Okay, you know, I've treated both sides fairly, or all the all the all the viewpoints are are you know accurately represented in this." It's a little harder when you're actually reporting a story and you kind of you hear somebody say something really stupid or that you think is really <laughs> stupid, and you just kind of want to just look at them and say, "What are you talking about?" You mm-hmm. know, can you? So you know, you kind of have to be it's it's just a matter of maintaining your professionalism. I, I nobody's 100% unbiased, nobody's completely objective. It's it's just you just have to be extraordinarily careful, I guess, about how you do it. And and you know, I I suppose within this Fox and MSNBC world, you could go ahead and run with your bias and let it go. But I think for what we do, you know, giving people the information that they and, and letting them make their own minds up, you know, they, they may see things. As I mentioned, you know, bias is just a reflection of your experience. They may have different experience and see things totally differently. So, I'll give them the same set of facts I have, and they can make up their own mind. And if if they think it's stupid, like I think it's stupid, mm-hmm. then you know, then I guess that's where we, that then we agree on. That. I don't. I don't think
0: I could do it. I. I. You know, in if I, sitting down with a, a politician or something and interviewing yeah. them. Well, I, th- I, I can do it because I, I have done
2: it. Sometimes on, you probably bite your tongue, right? I
0: can, yeah. But it's really hard for me to to, to, to not go, what? Yeah. You know, say, say that again <laughs> because that, you know, I can't, what? Yeah. You know, what the uh, hell are you thinking? Yeah, I.
2: I yeah, no, I've, I've had those experiences where people say things that are just so sort of, that strike me as so incredibly ill-informed and stupid that you just kind of, yeah, you know, you, you kind of have to sit for a minute and let you know let the little mushroom cloud over your brain go away because it's just it's 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 mind boggling. But that's how they see things, you know. And so you kind of have, you know, unless I mean, you can challenge somebody on facts. If somebody's saying, you know, if somebody's standing there telling you something that is factually incorrect, you can say, well, no, that's actually not true. According to this and this and mm-hmm. this, you know. I can, you know, you're you're wrong mm-hmm. and then make them defend their viewpoint. I don't think that's I don't have a problem with that. And you do that I, presumably, I mean with regardless of which side of the argument, you know, you might think yeah. is more valid, you know, it's important I think to make these people defend their viewpoints or articulate their viewpoints regardless of where they are on the political spectrum. Uh, uh, uh,
0: y- You'd mention Fox and, and CNN and MSNBC yeah. and they and they all do it now. Yeah, uh, where there are and you'll see reporters, people who are supposed to be um, just straight ahead reporters, right. come on these shows and engage in debate, engage yeah. in opinions, right. giving out their opinions and uh, and you know it's on it happens on Face the Nation and all of these shows. So so they go from doing what should be uh unbiased reporting mm-hmm. and then they and then they get into these other you know just bloviating. Yeah. Um do you think it's possible to do that and then go back to just unbiased reporting?
2: I I don't think so. I mean I I mean I've done some radio shows and some TV interviews, but usually when I do those I'm just kind of telling people what happened and you know Sometimes I'll get asked an opinion, and the way we kind of skirt that is say, like, well, people on this side of the argument say this, and people on the other side say this, and we kind of that way avoid giving our opinion on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the other paper in town uh, for a long time had their... City p- Weekly? <laughs> the Deseret News. We'll Catalyst? Just, we'll just, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, for a long time had their political reporters uh, writing a weekly column. And that just never sat well with me, just because it's sort of... You can't, you can't express an opinion on a topic that you're covering and then go back to covering that topic and have people mm-hmm. take you, you know, people trust your credibility at that point mm-hmm. that you're going to be presenting both sides fairly because you've already shown where your allegiance is on it. Yeah. So, you know,
0: you should see you You kind of it seems to me that you if you're going to be just a straight reporter, you ought to stay away. From there should be there stuff. should
2: be a line somewhere. Yeah.
0: yeah. You got to wait until you retire and then write your book. Then
2: you write a book or, you know, you can go be a columnist. Our paper has columnists who write opinion columns. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's fine. But they're not they're not making a pretense about them being, uh, you know, presenting information fairly. There it's clearly this is my opinion.
0: Uh, Robert Gerke, did, did you ever a lot of reporters also uh, have lurking around in them somewhere uh, this desire to be novelists and, oh. and writers. Is that is there one inside of you? Or? You
2: know, I've always kind of thought it would be nice, but I've never actually had a fully formed idea or anything nearly, <laughs> nearly to the point where I could actually start putting it down on paper. Um, we're working on a book right now, but we we at the at the Tribune um and so you know it'll be but it's it's been hard it's a totally different kind of writing than we do in in our daily news stories because our news stories are pretty short they're sort of formulaic and that you know you Put a lead in there, and you get a couple quotes from some people and a little background, and you're done. Mm-hmm. Uh, writing a book is a different animal, and it's been real. It's been a real challenge. It's out. It's taken me well outside of my comfort zone.
0: Well, uh, now, I, but I don't understand. You say we're writing a book at the Tribune. Is it? It's a book about it's the a, Tribune.
2: Or? No, no. It's it's our, our political team is working oh. on a book about the uh, Fourth District uh, candidate Mia Love. Working on a book about Mia Love. Yeah.
0: Uh, is it uh, a book that will come out? Post election, post election, whatever yeah. happens,
2: whatever happens, win or lose. That's interesting.
0: Uh, so it won't come out before because you don't want it to have anything to to do with the election. Well,
2: it would be it would be unfair, I think, to the Democratic to Doug Owens to write a book about. It would be unfair mm-hmm. to write a book about one candidate and okay. not the other. Yeah, um, you know. So, and I won't
0: ask you any of the details, obviously, but uh, I assume. I assume you're writing a book about Milo because it's a fascinating story.
2: She's got a she's got an interesting story, and yeah. she's got a national profile that I think a lot of people are interested in. It's you know it's biography, a good chunk of it, and it's about the 2012 race and and you know mm-hmm. th- this year's race, and and then we'll you know depending on what happens in the election, add a chapter to the end, sort of looking forward, and and you know it's 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 the first time we've tried something like this, and it's been. It's been a real challenge, but it's been it's been interesting to do. Uh,
0: are you are you real? Do you get really excited around election time? And
2: Typically, you- I do. Um, this year has been kind of uh, this year has been a little disappointing. There's just not not a lot of races. I mean, you think back two years ago, we had a se- we had a presidential race. We had a-
1: It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com.
2: Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidly prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Senate race. Had all the congressional seats up. Uh, you know, this year... You got. We've got the congressional seat and the attorney general's race and some legislative races. It's just not, not quite the same uh, adrenaline rush, I guess that you that I get in normal years. Um, you know, so it, it, elections are interesting. I always, I always, uh, I mean, I I could go off on election coverage. I guess I think sometimes we get sucked into doing the easy stories about poll numbers and mm-hmm. you know, candidate X said this about candidate Y, and we kind of don't give people the essential information about the candidates' positions that 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 they need. And the reason for that is because we get kind of swept up in the, the pace and sort of the back and forth of the election. You know, they're sort of like sporting events. Mm-hmm. But we don't tell people the bigger story about the context. So, um, you know, but uh, elections are a lot of fun to cover. I'm a political junkie, you know, and so, um, you know, I watch the national elections too, and I just kind of – i. I it, it it excites me, but, uh, yeah, this year's this year's been a little bit, but it's been kind of nice because it's given me a little bit of time to catch my breath, I guess, too. Are,
0: are you assigned any particular uh, race? To, are you covering any particular? This,
2: yeah, this year I'm doing the Attorney General's race, and I'm helping out on the Love Owens race. So, so. it's uh,
0: Reyes, and, and I don't
2: Reyes, and his, his name is
0: Charles Stormont. So oh, Stormont, that's he's right.
2: A, he's actually an Assistant Attorney General in the office, and he's taken leave so he can run uh, run as the Democratic he'll, candidate. He'll be a Democrat. Yeah. And, as, yeah, and, then, uh, and then Owens and... Uh, Owens and Love. And Neil Love. Yeah. Which
0: should be pretty pretty fascinating.
2: Yeah. I mean, Doug's challenge, obviously, is he, he's got to raise some money and get his name out there. I mean, the, the advantage that Matheson had when he ran against her is that he had a lot of money and everybody knew who he was and fewer people knew who she was, right? Mm. She was the one that had the name ID problem. So, you know, that's that's the challenge that's facing Doug. And, you know, there's she's got some vulnerability, I think, because I think she's still Matheson beat her up pretty good two years ago and softened her up a little bit. The polls have showed that she's got a I think a 43 percent approval rating or favorability rating. Um, and so you know, there's there is some room for him there, but it's it's going to be a hard uh, hard lift for him.
0: Yeah. And uh, is it, and what Chris Stewart and Luz Robles? Yeah. Uh, uh, does she have some room to do anything there? Luz, she's not a she's not a pilot. She she's not an airline <sighs> uh, air force pilot, and and she's not a man, and yeah. she's not white. And she's not white. Yeah. So
2: their debate last night was kind of interesting I because they, of didn't really, uh, they didn't really they didn't really throw many punches you know it was very very mild um he he was very gentlemanly yeah lou started out campaigning pretty aggressively and raising a lot of money um her daughter has had a a health issue and she's pregnant now and i think that those two things combined have kind of taken her away from the race a little bit more than she would like to be you know i think she i I think she planned on being a little bit more aggressive aggressive than she has been but um you know it, but it's it's also a really hard district for a democrat yeah. any any of those three districts are pretty pretty tough they're all about i think a 15 to 16 point republican advantage in those districts and so you really have your work cut out for you
0: yeah and and uh, democrats can complain and complain and complain because the republican dominated legislature redistricted them so strictly and oddly yeah. in republican favor but don't kid yourselves if the Democrats had had the chance, they would have done the they same thing. They would have thing. done just
2: the same, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, yeah, that's what happens in our, every other state where yeah. the Democrats are in charge. Yeah. Um, and so you end up with these districts, and I'm going to maybe get up on the soapbox here a little bit, but you end up with these districts that are so safe for everybody that all they have to do is run to their base, right? Mm-hmm. Republicans only have to run to the really diehard Republicans and get the nomination, and they're safe. And you end up with a Congress full of these people who are catering to the extremes on both sides, and mm-hmm. I think that's why you end up with a— with not much getting gridlock, done. Gridlock, yeah. With gridlock and just nastiness. I mean, that's one of the reasons I left D.C. Is just like it was bad then, and it was seven years ago that I left, so almost eight years ago that I left. It was bad then. It's just worse now. You yeah. know? It, it's, the, 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 the climate is just unbearable.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, the um, Mark Shirtliff and uh, John Swallow. Uh, situation because you and uh, your colleague... uh, Uh, Tom Harvey. Tom Harvey.
2: And Eric Peterson. We need to give Eric a lot of credit.
0: (laughs) Eric Peterson, uh, City Weekly Weekly. reporter. He he did a lot of work on that. Uh, You guys, for how long? Two years? Three years? Uh,
2: We started working on it probably the summer of 2012. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's when we first kind of got wind that there was something cooking. And it was kind of funny because the way... The way it happened to play out is I I heard about some of this stuff from some of the political sources. You know, it was kind of starting to trickle out a little bit. And I'd spent a a couple days working on it before I found out that Tom was also working on the same story. So we had that conversation. It's like, well, you know, he was working on it. Uh, Jeremy Johnson, who's sort of a key player in this whole thing, he... He had gone to John Swallow to try to get John's help in getting the feds off his back because they were investigating uh, investigating his business. He was accused of uh, defrauding a bunch of customers out of uh, millions of dollars. So so Jeremy had gone to John to get help, and John had hooked him up with this uh, payday lender guy, and the payday lender guy had hooked him. The, the idea was to get Harry Reid to get the feds to back off. So Tom, was, Tom had covered Jeremy's trial and was working with him. On a daily basis, basically, and I was working at, working it at from the political angle. But Jeremy had a bunch of information that he wasn't going to give us because he didn't want to just put it, all his cards on the table and not have any leverage in his, in, you know, with negotiating a plea deal. So we were trying to get at it without Jeremy, and we weren't able to do it. Uh, I wrote probably two or three different versions of the story based on what I was able to get, and the editors just kept saying, "No, you're not. You're not there yet." I and in, in hindsight, I had significant things wrong in the story Mm. it would have been embarrassing had we gone to print with it so in January you know Jeremy kind of finally said all right here's the stuff I've got uh it was like four days after John had been inaugurated that we ran that first story John Swallow John Swallow had been inaugurated yeah and and Mm -hmm. we ran that first story and it just sort of kind of snowballed from there really um you know got audio tapes and there were other after that other people started coming forward and you know it 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 was uh, it was pretty remarkable. I mean, I don't know if we ever expected it to kind of take off like that, and mm. and and that much more stuff to come out. You know, I, I, we we looked at it the other a couple weeks ago, and we've written something like 320 stories about it mm. over you know since January 2013. Um, you know, and, and of course, you know you, you know the history. You know what happened. I mean, yeah, they, they both they all,
0: swallow uh, resign. Shirtlift gets dragged into it. Yeah, uh, they have
2: both been charged with a combined twenty three counts. You know, and mm-hmm. they're are waiting trial now. It just uh, um, what, took on a life of its own.
0: What, I don't. I never quite understood why uh, the federal government, the fed seemed to back off the investigation. Sim Gill and Troy Rawlings, the local. Uh, uh, district attorneys mm-hmm. did not back off, right. and they they were the ones who kept on it and kept on it and kept on it and kept on it, and that's why the charges were ultimately brought. Do you
2: know why? You know, I, I wish I did. Um, there's a lot of speculation out there that, you know, Harry Reid got the feds to shut it down, or Mike Lee or Orrin Hatch, or, you know, all these all these different sort of, I guess you call them conspiracy theories about people who... In in powerful places who intervened to get the feds to back off. But it's pretty remarkable that they spent at least nine months uh, with the FBI and several assistant U.S. attorneys and a grand jury and all of this investigating these guys and then said, we can't find anything. They didn't do anything wrong. Um, or we didn't find anything we can charge them with, I guess they didn't, they didn't clear them per se, but you know, and then, and then the FBI, it's very unusual for the FBI to stay involved, but they stayed involved in an investigative capacity and worked with Sim and Troy and, and, um, and the state investigators and they ended up finding, you know, between that and the investigation that the house did, you know, they found considerable, you know, Mm -hmm. material to charge them with, you know, and, uh, so it's, it's. I'm. I'm. It's, I don't have a good it's answer. Just, it's but baffling. It's, it's confounding. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I just have no idea why they would have just sort of thrown up their hands and walked away from it. Um, I mean, they never even found an example of this. The other, you know, that kind of came up the other day was they never even discovered that John had lost or destroyed all of this, all of these documents, right? Mm-hmm. And it seems like it, if you. Anytime you start an investigation, one of the first things you want to do is go out and get the documentation and look at it and see, you know, what was put in writing. And then you go out and do interviews and things after that. Apparently, they didn't even find that piece of information because the House investigators had to uncover that. So, you know, you kind of have to question, given the reason, you know, given that. You have to question how thorough they were at that point, you know, if they, if they actually did a thorough investigation or if they just kind of looked at it and yeah. looked at what had been alleged and kind of said, well, we don't have anything we can charge him with. The problem is we don't really know because the Department of Justice is sort of this very cloistered black box kind of op- operation. And we have we have tried, but we haven't been able to get a good answer for yeah. that.
0: Um, I'm I'm intrigued by this character, Tim Lawson.
2: <laughs> He's w- an intriguing character.
0: What What can you tell me about that guy? What did you learn about him? He was referred to as uh, uh, Mark Shirtless Fixer, fixer and, yeah. uh, and kind of worked for John Swallow a little bit too. Or, yeah. you know, I can I can make things okay.
2: Yeah, Tim Tim met Mark, I guess. I think it was in 2000 when Tim was running for governor, and Mark was running for attorney general. Um, and Tim kind of struck up a, a friendship with him. And, and uh, you know, and then as as time went on, kind of if anybody ended up in trouble, uh, it wasn't uncommon for them to get a call from Tim Lawson saying, hey, I can help you out. I'd like some money, uh, you know, for this amount of money, I can get Mark to back off. And Mark says he had talked to Tim about this on numerous occasions, telling him he can't make promises like that. And, and Tim kept doing it. Tim's a colorful character. I mean, he... Um, you know, there was one story about how he was trying to get uh, get one guy to Darrell McBride to back off of uh, uh, Mark Robbins. Mark Robbins was involved in the Draper Frontrunner station and, and Darrell McBride had uh, felt like Mark owed him some money. So Mark was beat or Darrell was beating Mark up on uh, on Mark. Rob- his, Darrell McBride was beating Mark Robbins up online and Tim was trying to get him to back off. And he says, Tim said, I'm I'm I'm. Sort of the Porter Rockwell, you know. Uh, <laughs> I heard that quote. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know Porter Rockwell is a sort of a famous
0: Brigham Young's hitman. Brigham Young's allegedly. hitman, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I guess was, I don't have to say allegedly these people are long they're dead. They're long
2: dead. They're yeah. not going to sue you, I don't yeah. think. But yeah, and so you know, he said he threatened to send some Polynesian guys over and beat him up, you know, and, <laughs> and this and that. One of my favorite Tim stories that. um He called me one day when there was this sort of the, you remember the North Korean nuclear tests and there was sort of a Mm -hmm. crisis situation. This is way out there. But he was upset because he said Hillary Clinton can't can't negotiate with the North Koreans because she's a woman and they're not going to take her seriously. So he said he was going to go there and he was going to sit down with them and they were going to work this thing out. Tim Lawson was going to sit down with Kim Uh Jong-il and work this thing out. And I'm like, well, Tim, I don't know. You can uh, just fly to North Korea and meet with Kim Jong-il and work out this nuclear thing. (laughs) He's like, no, I'm going to do it. And I'd like the Tribune to pay for it. And and if you guys pay for it, you guys get the exclusive on the story. And I said, all right, Tim, that's not exactly how we work. But thanks for the offer. So he's just his colorful character Um, just out there. I mean, he. For a while, his his career, his his occupation was he was building hovercrafts for Utah Lake. Uh, uh-huh. He was that business didn't make it, uh-huh. uh, as you might. Expect. I wonder why. Can't imagine. Yeah. And then he was he, he was uh, before he was arrested, and I don't know if the, what its status is of this business, I but he was making gluten free bread, huh. um, you know, and having some success with it by all accounts.
0: Mm-hmm. So, um, did you ever? Feel I, I I talked to somebody uh, who had some knowledge of the case and was a little bit involved in it, mm-hmm. who uh, um, told me that they they felt pretty um, uh, they they felt that there was a little bit of danger surrounding this this case that there was yeah uh you know that there did you ever feel like there was
2: uh, a little bit I mean I never had a legitimate scare put into me, but I, you know, I, I was careful, I guess you could say. I mean, um, some of these characters are unsavory, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's some, there's some thugs and, you know, low lives that are involved in with these guys. And so I was, I was careful. I didn't, I, I don't think I was fearful. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have been, I, I would have been surprised if they would have come at me because you know it's sort of pretty transparent at that point that mm-hmm. somebody's trying to shut me up. But uh, so so no, I, I wasn't I wasn't necessarily fearful, but I was careful. Nobody I, ever. I locked... nobody
0: ever threatened you or
2: no, nobody ever threatened me. I was not, not you know I, I you know locked the doors and you know that sort of thing. But it was. Um, now I you know and I, I have I have family and stuff like that, so mm-hmm. I was kind of you know i I was aware of the p- potential but it wasn't I never felt at risk
0: uh the story's not over by the mm-hmm. way I should point out you uh I think you and uh Harvey uh recently won some awards right for the your reporting on these stories
2: yeah we've there have been a few awards we kind of got shut out of the big ones you know we kind of we we put our name in for the Pulitzer and some of the national awards and it's this sort of political scandal kind of happens every year in some state across the country. (laughs) So the judges see this thing over and over, and I think it's hard to impress him with it, you know. (laughs) Oh, it's it's another one of those political scandals. Yeah, it's like a magician pulling an ear out from, a quarter out from behind your ear, you know, it's not going to impress you that much. So, but yeah, we got some, we got some awards at the state and regional level, which Mm -hmm. is, it's nice, you Mm -hmm. know, I mean, I... I have sort of an aversion to awards, journalism awards in general. We give ourselves a lot of awards and pat ourselves on the back a lot. And I kind of just feel like, you know, what you do, you, you you prove what you do by what you put in the paper every day. And if you're beating the competition on a regular basis and you're breaking news, that's, you know, that shows how good you are. You don't need, you know, a, a plexiglass plaque to kind of validate that. Um, but, but, but
0: the Pulitzer.
2: The Pulitzer would have been that, nice. That's, 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 that's better than a plexiglass plaque. Yeah, but yeah. Because you know,
0: there's money that comes with that There one.
2: is. There's a significant amount of money, but <laughs> we didn't get it. My, my colleague, Pat Bagley, was a finalist for it. Yeah. So, you know, maybe I should have gone that editorial cartoon route yeah. after all, and I could have maybe done could, something with
0: could, it. And it's not too late, either. You still have a, career, a long career.
2: Yeah, you know, but there's—I don't know. I guess I thought—we we put our work in for the Pulitzer—my my work, I guess, in for the Pulitzer once before in 2007. You remember the mine collapse down in Price? Sure. And we did some work on, you know, whether they were doing, whether what they were doing down there was safe in the first place or mm-hmm. if they were putting people's lives in danger. And turns out they were putting people's lives in danger. Yep. And uh, uh, so I, at the time, I thought that was sort of a once in a lifetime story. And mm-hmm. I definitely thought this was sort of a once in a lifetime story. So maybe there's maybe there's, some, maybe there's something else down there as long as I, as long as we can hang on.
0: They come along. And the uh, uh, the swallow shirtless story isn't over.
2: No, it's not. I mean, they they have a court hearing later this month. Um, they're trying to get their trials separated because right now they're co-defendants, but they're mm. trying to separate the trials, which makes perfect sense. I mm. mean, the things they're accused of are different enough, sure. and John, you know, Mark doesn't want to have to stand next to John and defend himself, and mm. that, you know, this and that. So,
0: I think they're done with each other.
2: I th- no, they're there's, they're not on friendly terms. Yeah. I guess I asked uh, at Mark's uh the uh first appearance in court I asked him if you know have you seen Johns before today he said well we saw each other when we were being processed in the jail briefly and kind of gave each other a little nod but that was it so they you know they're not speaking mm-hmm. on a regular basis so um so the trial's playing out there's still you know there's still some pieces of this to kind of be resolved i mean um
0: any predictions on what will happen yeah uh, no
2: that gets that gets dicey i mean uh if you would have asked me six months ago, I would have expected one of them to cut a deal. Um, but it kind of reached a point once they filed the charges that there's not really any deal to be cut anymore. So um, I think you know, I think ultimately they'll they'll go to trial. They'll, I mean, they're not they've got very competent defense attorneys, and yeah. it's going to be a long and uh, very rigorous trial and expensive and expensive. Yeah, and and I think they're you know. Sim Gill, the DA, has uh, put some additional manpower on it. Um, there, the the FBI is still looking at some some of the allegations out of it. You know, there are other people who could be charged still. Do you know what happens if
0: uh, Sim Gill's up for re-election? Yeah. What happens if he is not re-elected? I you know. Get-
2: I asked his I asked his Republican opponent because is the guy who's running against him, um, Steve Nelson, is is. Uh, a a prosecutor in Sim's office. Yeah. And I asked him, okay, well, if you're elected, are you going to handle this any differently? And he kind of punted on the question. He said, you know, he's, he, you know, he doesn't discuss cases, particularly in the office. He says he wouldn't have been so public about it. He thought Sim was a little bit too much of a, you know, in the, out in the media about Mm it. Um, So what happens if Sim loses? Well, I mean, conceivably, I mean, his, his opponent could decide to, you know, Cut a deal, or reduce the charges, or whatever you know, uh, but he hasn't answered the question of whether he would do that or not. Yeah. So it's sort of up in the air.
0: That's kind of weird, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of odd that that could happen.
2: That that could happen. Yeah, that they could take a different tack. I think there would be. I think there would be considerable pushback publicly, though, if they did that. I mean, if you think about how much time the FBI and the state investigators committed to this, because mm-hmm. they. Look, when we broke when when we broke that first story in January, they were already working on this stuff, yeah, for months. And so, you know, you got to figure from sometime in middle of 2012 till July of 2014, they spent two years of FBI and state investigators and prosecutors' time, you know, and to walk away from it at this point, I think would be uh, pretty shocking. And, mm-hmm. and you know, mm-hmm. so so if anybody, you know, if if the new guy was to try to you know, type of deal. I'd, I'd, I'm not sure that would be politically acceptable. Yeah. Uh, let's uh,
0: kind of wrap this up by talking sure. about uh, what it's what it's like to to be in an industry that's
2: That's <laughs> on the ropes. Yeah,
0: because um, cause I am too. You <laughs> <know>. <laughs> you know. uh, did you have did you have any sense when you got into the business that it was? Having such a tough time. I mean, that's a hell of a question. I mean, when I got into to radio, uh, it's, it was still seemed pretty vibrant. Yeah. And but then it took a knockout punch pretty quick and uh, yeah. started, you know, having tough times. Uh, well, uh,
2: when I was uh, when I was working up at the college paper, I was the news editor, and my the editor in chief came in one day, and I, I just distinctly remember this conversation. He's like, "How much do you know about the World Wide Web?" And I said, I don't know, is that like an email thing or something? Is it like, you know, he's like, no, it's, you know, you can, we can put our, we can put our stories on the World Wide Web and people anywhere in the world can get on and read them. And I said, why would they want to do that? And and he says, well, you know, it's just kind of cool that you can get on, you know, you don't have to get the newspaper. You can get online anywhere and read them. And, and I said, well, why would we want to do that? Do we get paid for it? Do we, you know? So the point of that is this was, you know. When I was still kind of getting in, like moving in this direction, I had no idea that in sort of the 20 years since then, it, it would, the, the internet would completely just turn my whole mm-hmm. career upside down. You know, um, it's it's changed dramatically. It's changed fast. I mean, I'm uh, not just not just how we deliver the news, but how we report it has completely completely different than it was when i started i mean it used to be you'd have one deadline a day you go to something with your little notepad and you know go back to the office and write your story and that then you'd be done for the day now it's you have to have your phone and you have to have your laptop and you have to be able to file it right then from whatever it is that you're covering and you have to tweet it and put it on facebook and all this stuff you know it's completely changed but um you know and and, and i don't know where it's going i don't know when it's going to stop um you know, eventually, I, I guess I'm optimistic that the product we provide is something that people want or need. You know, mm-hmm. I mean that that news is something that people are going to that they value on some level and are willing uh, recognize that they need to pay for it at some point. Um, and so, you just have to find a business model or a delivery model to put that product in people's hands in a way that they'll pay for, you know? It's,
0: it's, uh, and it's not your job to figure that out. Well,
2: if I could figure it out, I sure would. Because nobody's I, done it. N- nobody really has. I mean, making money online is hard, and you see the people that are doing probably the best job of it, and it's like the BuzzFeeds and the, you know, the, mm-hmm. the that are just sort of, some news and lots of things about, you know, mm-hmm. photo galleries of kitties and mm-hmm. things or nip slips or whatever, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we need more nip slips in the Tribune. I don't that's know. Nobody wants to see my nipples. Talk, so. talk to Terry
0: Orm about yeah, that. See we'll, we'll work on that. Yeah. Terry, I've solved our problems. Yeah. Nip slips. That's what the – it's it's the nip slip of the day that's in the Salt Lake right. Tribune. Page that's three. Right. Page three. <laughs> page three. The page three well, nip slip. Well, you know,
2: and that's, what, that's, what, yeah. that's how they got started in the British tabloids, yeah. right? Selling some newspapers. Yep. So. Uh,
0: you know, and I mean, I, I, people – I don't – I guess it's the world has changed. I mean, I still get a I still get a newspaper on my front porch. Yeah, and I still like reading a a hard copy of the newspaper. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but I but I find that I don't have as much time to read it as I used to. And I still and I look at it online first thing in the morning rather than right. Rather no. Than,
2: I mean, I here's a here's sort of a guilty confession. I guess, but I still get the newspaper every morning and and. A lot of times I don't open it yeah. because I've already read the news that's in it the day before, um, mm-hmm. yep. and I just don't have time, yeah. you know, and so th- there there will be days where it sits there and mm-hmm. with the rubber band still around it. I,
0: Saturday and Sunday I always read yeah, it because I yeah, got the time.
2: Because you've got a little bit of extra time or, right. you know, and, but, so, so I don't know. I don't know if, I don't know if, here, here's sort of a, a, a story that kind of gives me chills a little bit about the future of this industry because. Um, my daughter, uh, when she was in fifth grade a couple years ago, uh, called me from school one day, and she said, Dad, do, you still have, do we still have a stack of newspapers sitting in the garage? Which, of course, we did, mm-hmm. right? It was probably about six and a half feet tall at that point. And, and I said, yeah. She says, well, we're, we're talking about newspapers in school. And I thought, oh, they're going to want me to come talk to her class about newspapers. And she said, can you bring some of them down because nobody in the class has seen one. <laughs> no, there had only been two kids in her fifth grade class who had ever seen a newspaper. Or touched a newspaper, and so you know that's what we 're up against that 's you know fifteen, twenty years from now, those are the kids who are not going to be buying newspapers.
0: Robert, why does then, when I put my paper on vacation hold and and then and the, I take the New York Times on the weekend, Friday, right. Saturday, and Sunday. The New York Times does this too. Right. They say, Would you like to donate those papers to the uh, to the schools? What are they doing with them <laughs>
2: I, I don't know. What, I mean, they're not
0: giving them to the schools, I guess, apparently. I guess
2: I can ask about that, yeah.
0: I'm going to find out. We should find out. We gonna need get an to the investigative bottom of that. reporter to <laughs> no get kidding. on that. I'm going to get to the bottom of that. Apparently, they're not giving them to
2: the schools if they've not seen any newspapers. But, no, I mean, I've kind of come to terms with the fact that, you know, my kids probably won't get a newspaper. They're going to get it on their tablets, tablets or their phones or their Google glasses or something that we haven't even figured out yet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you just kind of have to figure out, well, how— what's going to pay how are you going to make yeah. money on that and pay for the reporting that supports that product and you know hopefully you know there's people who have tried different things you know the micro payments you pay 2 cents an article or you pay $10 a month for unlimited access and we have a hard time doing that here frankly because anybody if the tribune starts charging the people will go to the desert news site or the ksl yeah. site or the fox site or yeah. you know mm-hmm. so so it's it's uh, mean, the new york
0: if, times they I guess they charge you for their website. Yeah. I take... Because I subscribe to The weekend. I, I can access their website anytime. Right,
2: right. I think the New York Times and, and... The Wall Street Journal does it a little bit differently, but the New York Times, you get 10 free articles and then they charge you. The Washington Post, I think, is doing the same thing. But they're
0: not making money. I mean, they're losing money, too.
2: They're. I think they are still losing money on their website. You know, it's sort of... I. I um, but they're making some money. They're making more than nothing on it. So... Yeah. Um, so yeah it's 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 an adventure you know
0: Um the, the Salt Lake Tribune still the paper of record in in Salt Lake City and and in Utah I mean it's still
2: I think so it, I mean I it, hope people recognize that there's some value in what we do you know and and that we kind of are still the first check on government or the watchdogs that are out there and we're providing still
0: bigger circulation than the deseret news
2: yeah i think they're catching up to us on sundays their website gets more traffic i think than ours but again that's largely driven by well frankly they they pad their numbers on their circulation because they count that national edition that they send out with the church news as their circulation and and their website draws a lot of mormon traffic you know from all across the country which from a business perspective, it's really good. It's I, a smart thing to do. It's a smart thing to do. It's going to, you know, if you're looking to make, if you're looking to get clicks on your website, you know, find mm-hmm. an audience that, and and cater to them. And mm-hmm. so, so they've done a good job of that. I think they've, well, their product is not what it once was and what you would hope it would be. I mean, I, I think I loved having the Deseret News's competition, frankly, because it always made me work that much harder, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and Lisa Riley Roach and, and Dennis Romboy, the political reporters are still, still good, but it's just, it's just not what it used to be. Yeah. I,
0: uh, I, I used to, I used to take both papers. I used to have them both on my porch every day and. And uh, don't anymore. My so.
2: my brother and I were both working at the Tribune for two years before my father changed his subscription from the Desert News <laughs> to the Tribune. We actually joked about getting him a subscription for Christmas, but he changed it over in November or something uh. like that. I think he's changed back now, though, so you know, can't, can't get respect from uh. pops.
0: Uh, Robert Gerkey, Salt Lake Tribune, I want to thank you for being on the Let's Go Eat Show.
2: Thanks, it was a lot of fun Happy uh, to do it.
0: Uh, I want to thank uh, Squatters, uh, excuse me, not Squatters. It's it's all part of the beer collective. That's right. Uh, Wasatch Brew Pub, the new place in Sugar House. Wasatch Brew Pub, Sugar House, right on the corner of Twenty uh, First South, and uh, it becomes Highland right here, Eleventh yeah. Eastern Highland Drive. It's uh, right across from uh, uh, the bookstore, uh, Barnes and Noble, and uh, great stuff here. We had some good food. And we'll talk to uh, the manager or one of the chefs at uh, at uh, Wasatch in just a couple of minutes, but. Uh been a real pleasure meeting you, Robert. Yeah, it was great. It was a
2: lot of fun. Yeah. I'm glad I'm glad to do it. I mean I've I've listened to Let's Go Eat Show. I've listened to Radio from Hell for for years and I'm very glad you invited me on.
0: Well, my pleasure. Uh so that's it for another edition of the Let's Go Eat Show. I want to thank myself for producing the show. Uh my son Dylan no longer doing it. He's in New York with the Daily Show. a uh, best of luck, son. Actually he probably still does a little work on the show posting it to uh itunes and stitcher if you like the show please leave comments on the website uh the let uh you can always send us an email you can send it to bill at x96.com or bill at the let's however you want to do it uh and uh, that's it just remember when you're pouring the drinks always make mine a double